Welcome, everyone, to today's Green Section podcast series. Uh, excited to have on today's episode uh, Jared Nemitz, who's a director of golf course and grounds at uh, the Ford Field and River Club, which is formerly the Ford Plantation in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, we also have Paul Jacobs, USG agronomist in the central region. Uh, Paul, formerly there, was in the northeast region, and he, I know he's looking forward to helping a lot of courses in that uh, in the central region, especially uh, in more of the southern half. So, guys, welcome to the show. Um, we've got uh, a lot to talk about. You know, the, the focus for today really is uh, on something that I know is really – uh, really important to Jared, something that has been, I think, pretty instrumental in his career. Uh, and I know he feels pretty, pretty strongly about it. So, uh, let's get into it. So, um, before we, we touch on the actual topic, which is sort of putting green service management data collection. Um, I kind of alluded to it a little bit that Jared is, is now at the Ford field and river club. Um, and, uh, Jared, you were at, uh, the peninsula club, uh, just outside of Charlotte. So, uh, talk about, you know, what happened? Now, now you're at a new course. Um, I think this all happened fairly recently, right? What, what's going on? How's life been over the past few weeks? It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. I've actually only been down here in Savannah back at the Ford uh, for the past, I think this is my 15th day now. So um, I, I, I worked here uh, about seven, eight years ago. I was here from 2009 to 2014, right at the beginning of the year transitioned up to the Peninsula Club um, at that time. But it was really it was really great back then uh, that we built we rebuilt the golf course. Uh, Mr. Dye renovated it and that was a great experience. And I, I left right towards the end of that project and went up to the Peninsula Club in Charlotte. I was up there as the director of golf course and grounds uh, for about seven years, uh, seven and a half, and then uh, come back home. So it's been exciting. Uh, to, to follow in the footsteps of Nelson. Uh, you know, he's a mentor of mine and he's a great friend and uh, just, it's a pleasure and an honor to come back to the, to the Ford again. Oh, that's awesome. It's, it's cool that you were part of that renovation. I remember when all that was going on um, and now you're sort of finally get to, you know, kind of enjoy all the, all the hard work that you guys did during that renovation and, and be able there to, you know, just sort of grow some grass and produce the playing conditions that, that you guys are excited to, so to produce, so that's yeah, it's really cool that you're you're back there. Um, you know, Nelson Carone, who was the former, uh, I guess, same title, director of golf course uh, and grounds there, uh, left recently for Seminole. So yeah, that's certainly some big footsteps to fill. Uh, you know, taking over for for Nelson, but I'm sure you're excited about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, but that's <laughs> it leads us into the, why data collection and uh, data tracking is important uh, in the handoff. It's 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 one of those things that I kind of didn't think of when we started developing all of these things, but I'm starting to realize how important it is when you're to de- to have this because it's 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 such a flawless uh, transition for a new superintendent that comes in to be able to have the data for the last 12 years. Nelson has 12 years of data here. We, we started this back in 2009. It's pretty pretty incredible. I know superintendents move into a new position. You know, there's a you know, it's a big unknown if you're brand new to the region, brand new to the course, all that, you know, it's still a lot of unknowns. I would imagine just going back to the Ford and now, you know, Nelson's not there. You're, you're in charge. So <laughs> it's on you now. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Cool. Um, well, let's, let's just a little update here now on Paul too. So you're, you're joining the podcast. Um, you've also 
gone through sort of a, a recent move um, going from the Northeast to the Central. So how, how's that been going so far, Paul? It's real good. Happy to be back closer to family. You know, the Northeast was awesome, great region. You know, some of the finest golf courses in the country. Definitely going to miss, you know, a lot of good friendships up there, but happy to be closer to family. You know, life's been crazy the last few months. Um, you got a lot of... Like- you got a lot of cool things going on, don't you? It's crazy. Yeah, I got a baby due end of May, moving across the country, new job, meeting new people. Uh, just had the laser eye surgery, you know, which anybody contemplating, I would say go for it. It's great. But uh, that first day was pretty wicked. It definitely feels like someone burned your corneas with a laser. Um, but after the first day, it's been good. So uh, good times. No, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Well, then, I mean, you got who knows what what the. Uh you know, winter is, you know, has done some of those courses in, in that Southern half of the central region too. That that's a big unknown still. So yeah, you, you could be, you could be really busy this spring. So we'll see. Yeah, it it could be, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns. Um, Definitely some super cold temperatures for the guys down in Texas, Dallas, and even over in Houston, they saw low teens, even single digits in Houston. And that's pretty rare down there. So definitely some concerns, you know, the guys that covered are probably going to be all right. The guys that didn't cover greens uh, may not be as well off, but only time will tell. So we'll see whenever we get out of the gate here, heading down uh, to Houston in a couple of weeks. So get a better feel then. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, winter injury can hit pretty much anywhere. And the, the hard part is certainly for, you know, cool season grasses, you can do everything right and still get winter injury you know, for, for Bermuda with, you know, the covering systems, it seems like there's a lot more definitive, you know, science and data around it, which, which kind of helps, but yeah, tricky situation there with, I mean, cold temperatures that they hadn't seen in like a century, I think. So that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yep. Could be a busy spring. I hope so, which is good. You know, I'm excited to get out and meet some new people, a lot of great relationships in the Northeast and look forward to, you know, doing the same thing down here in the central region. So I'm excited. It's good. Moving into sort of our our main topic for the day, uh, again, putting green data collection. Uh, this, in, in my mind, is probably you know one of the biggest trends that I'm that I'm seeing golf courses take on. You know, golf courses that are looking to you know really produce high quality greens and really understand you know what it takes to produce those conditions day in and day out. Um, and Jared, I mean, I, you know, from from knowing you, uh, knowing your time at the Ford. Um, and, and what you did then at, um, at the Peninsula Club. I mean, I look at you as really the pioneer uh, in sort of putting green data collection. And this isn't just just green speed, but clipping yields. I mean, I, I think back to that. We, we did a video at, at the Peninsula Club back in 2013, 2014. It was all about clipping, you know, yield and measurements. So uh, I really think you've kind of kicked off a pretty major trend in the industry. So I'm just, you know, curious, how did you get into this idea of putting green data collection and clipping yields and all that? Well, it's uh, it really started uh, when I was in uh, at Purdue uh, getting my master's degree. And it really showed, you know, going through those research projects and what it took to get real hard data to get a, um, a result or a definitive answer to what, what we're trying to find out. And then when I uh, moved to the Ford plantation and, and we, you know, Nelson and I started to work together, it became very clear that all, all these things that we do on a daily basis is very subjective unless you put a number to it. And it's very hard to communicate between 
team members, even Nelson and I, we we would be on a putting green and we would look at a bucket of a of a person mowing the green and we would say, um, I would say, Nelson, oh man, I think we're getting more grass than yesterday. And he said, oh, I, it looks like less to me. And and here we are, we're having a, a pseudo debate periodically on a daily basis on are we getting more clippings, less clippings? Is what what's what's happening with the the, the grass? And it, all of a sudden, it started to click that we have to have some way of communicating between each other. But then also, what what was one of the more important reasons of starting to take data collecting was uh, communicating with members. The other big part was trying to make decisions based on these numbers, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we all have a green thumb. That's very instrumental in what we do, right? The, the green thumb. You know, this what we do here made it made it better. But taking that subjectivity out and saying, by doing this, we saw a reduction in clipping yield or we have more clippings coming off. Um, this practice is slowing the greens down. It's speeding the greens up. So, you know, really being able to communicate between uh, the members, the management team, and then be able to take that green thumb and combine numbers with it, you know, just to be able to sit there and, and I mean, I'm looking at one right now. It's across from me on my my screen. I'm just looking at the last couple of weeks of data and seeing the trends of what we're doing coming out of out of wintertime and seeing what's happening. And we can make those adjustments based on what's really happening, not on our subjectivity, based on one assistant could have a very different opinion on what's happening out there. Um, and, and for that matter, myself. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. So let's unpack it a little bit. When you say data collection, what data, what are you all collecting? You know, how often are you doing it? That, that kind of thing. So, cause it's probably, I'm sure it's different for green speed is a, is a data point that people have been collecting for, you know, 40 years now. So it's, you know, what I'm just curious, some of the, the newer, newer avenues that people are looking into for data collection and what you guys are doing. You know, when we're talking about uh, putting green surface management, whether it's bent grass or Bermuda grass, we look at a few uh, very important data points or not important, but just things that help us on a day-to-day basis. Um, we look at, we, we take clippings off of one putting green every day. And we usually pick one, uh, very common is either the PG, you know, that's one of the first greens that people mow, or uh, a green that's closer to the shop, which makes it easier to transfer the bucket from said putting green after it's filled and, and get it back to the shop without it spilling in a card or getting lost in <laughs> in transport. Um, that's kind of the two two areas that most people use. Um, but we take clipping volumes. We do um, measure the stimp of a, of, of a single green daily so that we know what the trend is happening. So it's not giving us a, a, a number for all of the greens. Okay, that's, that's not what we're doing. We do take some other data points on other greens, but this is one that we know that this green is telling us the same data point every day. Um, I, I love tracking how many times we do the cultural practices to a green, whether it's vertical mowing, grooming, brushing, how many cuts, and that's just marking on a sheet, how, you know, a tick, be able to count how many times we do something, uh, how much sand goes down, the height of cut for that given day on that green, and here's here's the most important one. And 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 you'll say, well, Jared, you're getting away from the data. And, and I, I would say no, because you have those data points that I just mentioned, but it's the notes or comments section on a daily basis for the putting green and, or what you're experiencing on those greens. And I got to tell you, that's where the key that unpacks it. That combines now the green thumb 
with the data points um, on a daily basis. So that's that's that art and science sort of you're you're adding a lot of science to it, but you're still understanding sort of how it all falls together and and making decisions off of that kind of stuff. You know, Adam, one of the things that that came out of of doing this kind of a you know, for lack of a better term, a journal of the the putting greens because this is kind of what it is. It's a daily journal, and I have seven years of of journal from the Peninsula Club that I passed on to the new director of golf course grounds there. And I've got 12 years here. And what's interesting is how you start to see your greens trend the same every year. Mm-hmm. Regardless of weather, I mean, weather obviously has got to play a role, but it, it, it moves things by it moves things by a few weeks. But when you look back at all of the Aprils on the Ford, uh, Ford Field and River Club's greens, you can see four weeks, pretty much similar results. The, the practice putting green starting to get a little weak in, let's say, March. So they let's put a little fertility on them. Uh, you know, the traffic from the uh, over winter time is now kind of playing a toll. That note shows up in some way, form or fashion over the last three or four years. And so when you start seeing that over three or four years, now you can predict, okay, in February, I know this is going to happen. So what can I do preventatively to make this better? And that's how you start dialing in things on your putting greens and start taking that next uh, leap up to becoming more proactive than reactionary. And and I see it over and over again with disease, stress, um, and, and then the, they just kind of go through that rotation year over year. That's a really good point. You know, I think a lot of guys, whenever you think about data collection, they're trying to look at the data and say, how can I make a decision based on this data now? But Jared makes a really good point. You know, sometimes you get years of data. And if the trends are the same, you know, five out of six years, eight out of 10 years, you can look at that and say, okay, this isn't just a chance that these things are happening. You know, I can start to predict what's going to happen almost and and plan for it better than, you know, waiting until it happens and then being reactionary. Obviously, you know, like trying to be proactive, you know, preventing problems that, that, that makes a ton of sense. You know, what about sort of conditioning and, you know, decision-making? I mean, what, what is it, where do you see the benefits? Do you see more like, hey, my greens got better from all the data that I've gotten or that I've gotten, you know, more information to make better decisions around applying, you know, whatever, PGRs or nitrogen? Like, which, which is there one that's a little bit more, one that comes more a little bit, you know, conditioning or decision making? Or is it just both? The uh, I would say clipping volume and that uh, the stent meter readings, because those two things really go hand in hand um and 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 i can speak very much from the ultra dwarf side of the 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 atmosphere of the rise here um is that when when we are taking a lot of grass off of a putting green that putting green is that putting quality is not good it is just not good so you can be mowing low but if you're hogging grass you are just getting uh much less ball roll distance and so when I start seeing a lot of clippings, I know that a, lot, a couple of things are out of whack. My height of cut, my PGR, um, my frequency of cuts, my verticutting. And cause, because a lot of times the greens will subjectively look, let's say they don't look great. But if they're producing a lot of clippings and you are just filling a bucket full, then you have some room to go. And, and that look may not be telling you the whole story. 
and it, can, it should give you some confidence that, okay, I can go out there and do a little light tickle of grooming or verticutting and be okay, knowing that I'm taking <laughs> a thousand grams off or a whole bucket full, whatever, however you, you measure it. And it should give you those that confidence and that ability to say, hey, this is the right thing to do, even if maybe my eyes are telling me something different. It, it certainly makes sense to everyone's already paying attention to the conditioning and it's just the more data you collect, it seems like the more you can connect the dots to think, okay, the, I did X, Y, Z, you know, now here's the the response to, to the greens. I'm getting more clippings. I'm getting less clippings. Speeds are up, speeds are down, whatever it might be. So it, it, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And then to your point, what you just said, I mean, to that response nature is there are a lot of products and a lot of things that we do to putting greens on it on a, you know, a daily basis or a weekly basis that, you know, I, look, I'm going to, I'll just tell you right now, one of the big reasons I, I mean, I, I started doing Excel with all of this is I can't remember it all. I mean, I'm just not that guy that can remember what happened 14 days ago. And, you know, I, I remember a time when, uh, when I was, we were starting to develop this was, you know, we applied a product and then two weeks later, we started to see a response on greens. I mean, we saw a, a, a reduction in quality from color and density, and it was we were freaking out. It was, oh my gosh, you know what what is going on? And we were we were chasing the weather, we're chasing all this other stuff, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, how, I mean, what happened? But we we scrolled back on that journal and saw, oh, we applied X product, and sure enough, we had just kind of, you know, you apply it, you kind of forget that you did it, and 14, 18 days later, you saw the effects of that that PGR in that product. And it was like, oh, okay, so it's going to rebound. But it, so once again, it's just having those, those things written down and, and tracked, it lets you know that what we're doing does have an effect or a result, sometimes negatively, you know, and, and you don't want to chase the wrong things either. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I've seen in a lot of cases, you know, like research is, is fantastic. It helps us solve, you know, our, our, our biggest challenges. And I think to like the best management practices that came out around anthracnose disease and, you know, applying a 10th of a pound of nitrogen every week was, was sort of a standard for a little bit there. And, you know, I, I think having, you know, having that plan in place sort of before the season starts makes a lot of sense. Um, but the more information, the more data you collect, the more you're, you're sort of paying close attention to everything, the more you're going to react to it. And yeah, 14 days seems like a long time, you know, when you're, you know, working 60, 70 hours a week, it's hard to probably remember all that. And, you know, so understanding that there's data, there's a journal, you know, can maybe help you say, all right, we just put down a 10th, like three, four weeks in a row and the greens are growing a lot more than what we want. Like let's, let's dial it back. Let's adjust things like that. So it, I, I could definitely sympathize with how it, it can get tough at times with how quickly the summer can go by on those, on those, you know, on that cultural practices, it's so important, you know, it, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we see a lot of the day in and day out things. But I can tell you that one of the big things, and I think you with the USGA know more than anybody is the pressure on superintendents on cost, the economics of maintaining a golf course. And it's getting harder and harder to to justify cost. And the, the question always comes up year over year with at the board. Well, what can we cut? What can we do more with less? And, you know, all those phrases. 
And when you have your data of how many times you cut the greens, how many times you rolled the greens, and how much sand you put on the greens, and you present it to them and say, okay, just tell me, what would you like me to do less? If you would like me to take 100 cuts out of there, that's fine. This is the economic benefit, and it's going to affect your quality this way. And it's, I mean, it is, when you start talking numbers and bringing data to these meetings that most people don't have, it's just you, that you go into those, those board meetings, you go into those financial meetings, and you're going in with, well, quality will go down or putting will go down. And they say, well, prove it. And it's like, well, I just know. If I, you take money away, it's going to be it's going to be less quality. And they're just looking at you going, OK, well, we're going to figure it out. You'll figure it out. Right. And when you have numbers and you battle numbers, whew, it makes it a lot harder on them to to uh, take that away from you. Yeah, I, I want to touch on that. I know, Paul, you, you had something to say, but I, real quick, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jared, because you said it early in, in our discussion, how you use sort of numbers and data to communicate with, you know, your course decision makers. And I was curious as to, yeah, you could do less, you know, less I'm guessing you don't do. tell them clipping volumes on a daily basis, but you use, you know, total cultural practices in a given year, you know, being able to answer those types of questions or at least present it to them, I think definitely puts you in a position of strength there because yeah, we, we we've all heard it, you know, do, do more with less. And I don't want to get Paul riled up because I know he he's not a fan of that phrase. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, that's cool. That's how you use it. So Paul, I, sorry, I cut you off before. No, I'm sorry. I was just listening to Jared. And the one thing I was going to ask him was, you know, if he's ever used this data from a political standpoint, Jared just hit the nail on the head there. He, he already answered it, you know, saying that this data can help either defend programs that you're already implementing, or I guess you could use the data to help sell a program, right? If you were to, let's say we got to start grooming, verticutting greens, increasing top dressing rates, whatever it is. And if you walk into those meetings, having tested it and you have the data to show, hey, here's what we've done. Here's the increase in performance. Then, you know, it's easier to sell that program versus walking in and just subjectively saying the greens are better whenever we do whatever it is you're trying to sell. Yeah. I mean, when you go in with, um, you know, organic matter numbers on aging ultra dwarf immunograss greens and say, yes, we can reduce our aeration practices but we are going to lose this percentage that we need to impact on these aging greens. And, and for that matter, okay, fine, we'll try it. And we did it for a, we did it for one year and they saw the graph dip and that was enough for them to say, okay, never. Yep. You were right. And then it was just done. It was do what you need to do to keep that graph on the, on the right track on reducing organic matter, or at least not letting it pile up in your, in your, with the old ultra doors. Cause as they age, um, Surface management practices have to get a little bit more intense. Your organic matter removal practices have to get more intense. And and, and you can use numbers. Those numbers are there. Uh, that soil organic matter is a number that can be achieved. You can have that number. And you start correlating that with what you're doing on the surface as well. It's it's tough for a board to, to, walk, uh, to walk out of a room and take money away from a budget at that point. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean – Number one, we all know the greens are are the most important part, and you demonstrating that you know sort of every you know little detail about the greens and what you're doing to them and what you need to do to them to maintain the quality that that you're producing is is really powerful. Um, I'm curious, Paul, how how many courses do you see in your travels that are interested in data collection or are doing data collection? You know, especially around like clipping yields, take 
take green speed, you know, take green speed out of it. Cause that, that one's been around for a while, but you know, what, what are you seeing in your travels? We kind of talked about it earlier. I mean, measuring clipping yield is something I think superintendents have done for a long time, you know, but it's been very uh, subjective. Like Jared yeah. said, you know, yeah. superintendent asked the guy moan, Hey, you know, how full was the bucket? One guy says full bucket and to another guy, you know, a full bucket's a completely different amount of, you know, clipping. So I think what we're seeing is, you know, as far as formal clipping measurement and data, uh, tracking goes, I think we're definitely seeing an increase in the number of superintendents that are interested and definitely an increase in the number that are actually doing it. Um, I I would say, you know, some guys, a lot of guys still say, you know, I don't have the time, which is interesting to me because, um, you know, I never did it whenever I was on a golf course, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was. Uh, This wasn't common back then. So I would be interested to hear what Jared has to say to that kind of comment, you know, superintendents to say, I just don't have the time to do this. Uh, Just it seems to me like it would take no more than a couple minutes. You know, the guy mowing the green, whatever green it is, tell him, hey, keep the clippings in the bucket, bring it to my office when you're done. And, you know, what does it take two, three minutes to measure it and enter it into your spreadsheet, I would imagine. The thing is, is that uh, superintendents don't have time to do this. And and the thing is, is I don't. Um, you When you create the processes, you get your whole team involved and it takes very little time at that point, you know, when you have a, a bucket program for the, the clipping volumes, you, everybody knows on staff, whoever's mowing this green has to have the bucket and they, they do it themselves. So they're going to mow that green and dump that bucket no matter what. So if you have a bucket there, it's not adding any time. They drop the bucket off at the shop and then the assistant who is responsible for that bucket, that's his duty every day and he makes sure it gets done. And he weighs the, the, the weighs it, takes a few seconds and he gives a number to the the person who's going to, you know, put, you know, manage the sheet. So it's like my first assistant manages the sheet and he just puts in the numbers and it takes him literally a couple of minutes because the height of cut doesn't change that frequently. So you just plug the number in, put a few notes in. How many times did you cut it? Clipping volume, stint meter. The whole process can take less than five to five, 10 minutes max a day. Yeah, so it's not really a time, a big time commitment. It's just a matter of implementing that procedure and getting the staff or whoever's involved trained. And once they're trained, it's minimal, minimalistic from a, a time commitment standpoint. That's kind of what I thought, but I would say, you know, I hear that a lot from superintendents. But to answer your question, I think a lot of guys are definitely getting more interested um, into this sort of thing. I think these kind of podcasts, you know, people just finding out more about it, the benefits, I think will kind of push guys over the edge to, you know, implement that change. Did you see age difference in the, you know, the younger people coming up being more technologically, you know, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, is it, is it, there's there a generation gap on this? Do you, do you see? I don't want to categorize everybody, but I mean, if I'm being totally blunt, I mean, there are superintendents that have been doing it for 30, 40 years, shoot longer than I've been alive. You know, they, they feel like they've been successful for that many years and they're not successful for that many years without knowing what they're doing. So they feel like, you know, I have my programs at work. I'm not going to change my programs. They've got me to this point. You know, why would I start changing things now? Um, but there are some guys that are, you know, later in their career that also say, hey, I'm always open to learn new things about what I'm doing. You know, if I'm not willing to, you know, dive a little deeper into my whatever I'm doing to make it better than, you know, kind of shame on me. So I, I see both of them, but the younger guys definitely seem to be more open to this sort of thing. Um, and, and I think it's not only younger superintendents, but younger members at golf courses. I mean, younger members, they want to see the data. Like you mentioned earlier, they're, you know, they're business people and 
businesses now are becoming more and more, uh, everything's analyzed, you know, so you have members that want to see things analyzed. So as a younger superintendent, you kind of feel that pressure, I think, and you see the value in analyzing data a little more. I think that's pretty well said, Paul. I mean, it's, it's hard to group, group folks, you know, into sort of a, you know, a bucket like that or paint a broad brush, so to speak. Um, but all the benefits that Jared talked about, I think are, are going to be universal for anyone who's managing a golf course. Um, so I think it's especially important for those that, you know, they're, they've got some really high expectations and they're, you know, maybe having a hard time communicating what they need, you know, to deliver on those expectations, you know, sort of showcasing, Hey, we, we only mowed our greens this many times last year. And, and because of that, we struggled to reach our targets or, or whatever it might be. It just seems like it's a good opportunity to, um, you know, try to help convince folks, here's what you need to, to deliver the kind of product that they're, they're being asked to, to deliver. I can tell you without a doubt in my mind that the, the most, I guess the most fun that a green committee members had at Peninsula Club, and I have a green committee meeting coming up on Friday and they're asking them for the same thing. The number one was the year end data just blow out, just share everything that we had, all the graphs from the year that we had just gone through. They loved it. I mean, you, you, the, the look on their faces and when you're throwing numbers and the data at them, they just loved it because it's finally, it, they, get, they get amazed when you start talking about 600 tons of sand on the greens or, you know, how many times you cut. Because they look at it, they think, well, we, said, we saw you guys mowing, but there's only 365 days a year. So you're probably only mowing, you know, a couple hundred times and you start talking about four or 500 cuts. They're, they're, whoa, whoa, okay. Where, where are you cutting? Where is this coming from? And they just love it because they just they just have no idea of what we do on a daily basis. And when we start talking about the numbers, it, they just love it. They absolutely love it. Sharing that information probably gets more buy-in from them as to, again, here, here's why our greens are good. Like we, we mowed this many times this year um, or, or whatever it is. We, we top dressed or, you know, so it's, it's really neat information. I, I'm curious really to, to get both you guys take, like, what do you think are really the, the next steps. I mean, we've talked a little bit about, we think this is something, you know, every superintendent can, can do. It's, it's just a matter of getting, you know, getting a process in place, but what, what's next with data collection? I mean, Jared kind of talked about it earlier, you know, and, and I would say either, you know, some sort of daily, if you could, you know, GPS tracking and monitoring of moisture content on putting greens, um, you know, I think that will help you identify, um, you know, whether it's inadequacies, inadequacies in the irrigation system or maybe um, if you're hand watering, you know, maybe some people tend to water a little heavier than others, uh, whatever it may be. But, you know, m- water management directly impacts firmness. So from a golfer's perspective, I think they'd be interested to see, you know, how uh, strict you can be with water management. And the other thing would be organic matter testing. Granted, this isn't happening, you know, every day of the year, but getting into some of the work that we're doing in the green section, trying to standardize organic matter testing. So, you know, different courses can test and those numbers are all going to come back and be, uh, you know, you can relate those numbers to one another. Whereas right now, you know, different labs tend to test and can test in different ways. Um, And I think tracking that organic matter over time at your course, like Jared said, it helps to sell if we need to increase aeration intensity or top dressing. And at the same time, you can monitor and say, hey, maybe we're doing more than we really need to. Maybe we're not really getting any improvement in playability out of it. You know, why are we aerating or top dressing as much as we are? So, um, 
I think those would be the two most impactful things that we could start to measure from from here on out. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't agree more, uh, especially with the aeration part of it, because it goes back to the economics. That is a big economic driving force in in our in our industry. And when you're talking about closing a golf course for any amount of time to do aerations, you've got to make sure that you're doing the right thing, and you're 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 taking you're and it, you're taking the golf course away for exactly the amount of time that needs to be taken away, not just because that we aerate every year and we use this size time and we do it this many times. Uh, Cause when you start getting into that, you're really, I mean, you're really putting your club up against it because sometimes you either need more aerations, bigger times, or maybe you just don't need as much. And, and that there, there are numbers out there that can help make that decision. And then that way the, your club is not doing anything um, that they don't need to do. And, and for that matter, the, the agronomist as well. You know, you're doing the right thing for the for the green. And obviously, you know, I mean, everybody knows about water and how it's just going to become more and more of an issue going forward. But I think one of the things that I don't know the USGA has been working on this is I think one of the big key factors going forward is finding an interface that is cheap and easy to collect this data and put it into a sheet. Because I think one of the biggest problems with this whole thing that we've talked about today is if you don't know Excel, then th this is a hard thing to do. I mean, th then we're talking about writing it in a journal, and then you're not. And, and at that point, that's very hard to keep track of, and or like on, on a on a sheet of paper, and that is very challenging. And if somebody coming up with some type of easy interface that you can have it on your phone and input some basic numbers and have it all these this data collected, because uh, I know that Excel is the limiting factor in all of what we're talking about today. The recent launch of our our basically our data collection platform called Deacon uh, that that does allow you it is that interface uh, to be able to enter in data, um, track inputs and sort of visualize everything. So it's it's one that we've gotten a lot of interest on, and we're we're hopeful that our uh, our platform makes it easier. So people you know that maybe aren't comfortable working with Excel or, or just you know want to have that different option, you know, have something that, that they can get started. So I think it's definitely an interesting area. So um, my my biggest takeaway really, and and Jared, you you sort of led off with it, is just it's such a powerful tool to be able to collect data and better gauge you know, what you're doing to your greens, why you're doing it and, and what the reactions are. And then you can use that to improve decision-making, improve your greens, improve your communication, uh, you know, with, with your course decision makers, whatever it might be. So I think that's, that's really cool. Hopefully, um, you know, we, we continue to see more people getting interested in this because it just, it seems like it's just such a home run. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. And a lot of people were getting a lot of this data before, I think the big thing that's changed is how to put it together and how to keep, use it week over week, month over month, and year over year to actually tell a story and and get results from it. Because I, I mean, I think the stimulator has been around a, a long time, and but being able to put that data together and show trends and 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 uh, show that maybe you don't have to go so low to achieve the same results. Any any final thoughts from either one of you guys before we uh before, before we call it a day? I don't think so, Adam. I think that was that was excellent, Jared. Thanks for being here, uh, Adam. Good chatting again. And uh, you know, Jared's around. I'm around. We got agronomists all over the place. You know, feel free to give us a call, and we'd be happy to help in any way possible. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to uh, you know next conference season. We can get together and continue this type of chat. You know, in person and uh, you know over a beverage or two or something. Sounds good, guys. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you. Later. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Green Section podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Green Section record by going to usj.org forward slash course care.